Hello, this is Gary Van Warmerdam, and this is the Awareness and Consciousness podcast from PathwayToHappiness.com. I'm going to continue with the topic of fear and some resistance to change in that department, emotional change. When we consider looking at changing our fears or what we're afraid of or any emotional dynamic in our life or particularly emotional behaviors or behaviors we could say have based in emotion, which frankly is pretty much all of them because they're not really logical, our behaviors and habits, they're more emotional patterns. It may make a lot more sense to think of these or perceive these emotions as these habits, these behavior patterns, as their own living beings, aspects of our personality that have taken on a life of their own. It doesn't mean that it's not changeable. I think we can understand a lot more of the dynamics and come to accept them, and it'd be a lot less frustrating if we look at them in terms of just having a life of their own. One metaphor I like to use is if you have a garden. If we look at our mind and all our emotional patterns, our behaviors and aspects of our personality we want to change, these are all the things that we've grown in our life. And it's like a garden in our backyard that we've let grow unattended. Say the habit is with food or fear of public speaking like I spoke about last time. Then every time we go through and we live out that habit, it's like watering that weed. And that weed grows or that bush grows. And we may not have really been paying attention to our behavior patterns or modifying and changing things the way we want. And we wake up one day and our life isn't where we want it to be. We discover we're not as happy as we want to be. And we really take an inventory of our garden for the first time. All these behavior patterns, how we do our relationships, the career we're in, how fulfilled we are or unfulfilled we are. And we're like, wow. This is not at all the life I want. Or maybe it's just one little aspect that said, that aspect is not what I want. And we try and go change it. But here is this habit that we've been nurturing for perhaps years. And it's developed some roots. And it may be tree-sized or maybe bush-sized. And changing that plant, that weed that's now growing in the garden, is not something you can just say, okay, you go away, I don't want you here anymore. Because it's grown roots. It requires that you go in with tools and you dig it out or you cut it down. And it's not that it's immovable. It may be immovable that day. You know, if you have a whole tree that's grown in your backyard or your number of weeds there, it may take you more than a day to pull it out. But it's certainly a doable job giving the right tools and the amount of time. But that behavior pattern, that emotional dynamic in our mind, tends to resist. It has roots. It wants to continue growing. That's the nature of life. Those things that are alive tend to want to continue to stay alive and preserve themselves. A couple examples of this. A gentleman was telling me the other day how he considered downloading my self-mastery course, which has a whole number of exercises. And he realized that he's had this debate going on for some time. The one particular story he had going was that he was particularly afraid of not making good use of the course and the materials provided, that he wouldn't do the exercises. 
and that if he didn't do the exercises, the judge in his mind would tell him he was wasteful, he didn't have the discipline, here he spent this money, and he wasted that because he didn't take advantage of the material there. He had played out the scenario to where he wouldn't do the process. The voice in his head was playing back to him all the criticisms that he would receive, the self-rejection, basically. And he was perceiving the pain of all that self-rejection. And he feared that pain. So he was deciding not to do the course because he was afraid of the self-abuse from the voice in his head. And here's an amazing catch-22. Because the audio program on my site is designed to teach you how to get out from under the tyranny of that critical voice in your head. His thought process had a vested interest in having him avoid the very thing that would free him from it. In that way, his thought process was corrupted and keeping him trapped within the domain and under the tyranny of that critical voice in his head. This is the kind of way that we often trap ourselves in our own logic and do an endless loop and don't get real change because the mechanism of the mind that is making the decisions is driven by fear and a distorted logic that is in self-preservation mode and it is the actual thing that's causing us fear and suffering. So it's like that very thing that we look to to make our decisions to get us to happiness is the very thing that's creating it and doesn't know how to not create it. This is why for someone to make real change in their life, they so often need some kind of input, whether it be a coach, a counselor, mentor, or a set of tools that comes from outside their domain of knowledge to guide them out of that domain of knowledge and fear that's creating their suffering. You need to have some kind of input that's other than what you already know. I was speaking to another woman, and she had a number of obstacles of resistance about doing things and making changes, but one of them was, as we talked and kind of inquired into that core beliefs behind the stories, she was afraid of succeeding. She was afraid that working on these issues in this way would actually work. And inquired a little more, and she felt, well, there's a whole side of my personality that I'm going to lose. And that's true. It's not a side of her personality that she's particularly happy with. It's all corrupt with jealousy and anger and fear of being abandoned. But at the same time, she was afraid that it would actually go away. Or at least that was her interpretation. My take on it is a little different. My take on it is that that was the proposed interpretation that her mind was making. Oh, there's this whole side of my personality that's going to go away. And afraid of that death. Because, yeah, there's whole aspects of who we used to be that are going to die in this process. Well, that isn't her fear. If we can see that that 
living dream of that side of our personality that's filled with loneliness and jealousy and comes out in a controlling behavior. That's not her authentic voice. That's not her authentic self. It is a whole structure of her personality built on beliefs and emotions, like one of the things growing in the garden in her mind, that has taken on a life of its own. Senses that if she really goes down this path to love, self-acceptance, that there will be no room for fear, need for control, jealousy. All these emotionally-based behavior patterns will not be able to keep their roots in her life. So that whole side of her personality that has taken on a life of its own is in fear of its own survival. You see, it can perceive that love will be the end of it. Self-acceptance will be the end of it. And a natural instinct of any living being that's facing its own death is a sense of survival fear. What this woman had mistaken this fear to be was her fear. You see, the judge in her mind was afraid that it was going to get uprooted. The victim in her mind, and all the fear of loneliness story, was afraid it would get uprooted. The whole self-image she had created and was living in her mind of being alone and rejected was going to get uprooted. And she made the assumption in her mind that that fear of those aspects of her personality were actually her. And she said, I'm afraid. That's a big crock. All those sides of our personality that says we're a failure, we're not good enough, they're afraid of success. Because they're going to die. If we really become the person that we feel that is inside of us, the person that we know that's in there, the person we see glimpses of in a moment, the person we know we can be. See, that part's not afraid. That part's just waiting for an opportunity. We're not afraid to come out and be that person. That fear we feel in being that person is all those other sides of our personality will be annihilated. And those other parts of our personality false self-images, they're going to die. And that's frightening for them, but it's not our fear. When we have that clarity, that self-awareness, that we can feel fear that comes from a false self-image, we can recognize that's fear and I can perceive it because it's in this realm of my emotional field. It's part of my garden of creation in the many aspects of my personality, yeah, those things are going to die. And we as consciousness can perceive it. But it's not legitimately, authentically our fear from ourself. Even though those fears speak with the voice, I and me, it's not us. When you have that clarity, it gives you an opportunity for a gap between being afraid that will cause us to resist the very medicine that will cure us from these emotional reactions, it will give us a gap to say, ah, there's a fear that's resisting this 
change, this change in my behavior, this change in my personality. And you know what? That's not my fear. And I don't have to believe the story that says, don't do that. Don't go speak in public. Don't go do the thing that I know that I can do. When we have that self-awareness, we have that gap between recognizing that that fear and the voice of self-preservation that that fear speaks is not our voice. It's not our authentic voice. We have that gap. We don't have to believe what it says about what we can't do or what we shouldn't do or what we're afraid to do. We don't have to believe it if we have that gap and recognize, oh, those other aspects of my personality that are going to fall away, that's what's afraid. One of the big assumptions that we make is that we assume that when our mind gives us a reason for the fear, that it's accurate. That the first thought we have about why we're afraid is accurate. One of my suggestions I share with my clients is consider that first rationalization for the fear about why. Let's assume that's not it, instead of just automatically taking it for granted that whatever our mind tells us, whatever thought goes through our head is true, let's just say, let's assume the first one isn't true. And be a skeptic of that rationalization, that justification, particularly if it's got an unpleasant emotion like fear around it. And that skepticism and suspending belief in the first assumption we have about why we feel what we feel you'll notice that the mind will propose a second story, a second rationalization about why we're afraid or why we feel that emotion. And just for an experiment, suspend your belief in that one. Be a skeptic. Say, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it's not true. I don't know if it is true. But right now, I don't need to believe in it. Let's just wait and see. And something very interesting will happen if you do this experiment for a while is, you will notice that the mind will propose another idea, and then it will propose another idea. And it will keep proposing all these rationalizations for why you're afraid or why you feel a particular emotion. The really interesting experiment is if you start writing these down and you see how the mind is morphing, giving you one reason and then another one and then another one, and changing trying to get you to buy into one of those stories, to make it a belief in your mind, which is to say, invest your faith in that justification, that conceptual idea of why you should be afraid or why you should have that emotion. Because that faith is like water for the garden in your mind. It's water and fertilizer that's going to make those beliefs stronger and those roots deeper and entrench them more in your mind, in your personality. But if you practice being a skeptic, suspend your belief in those conceptual ideas and say, well, you know what, I don't know if they're true, I don't know if they're not true, let's just wait and see. Watch the mind propose a second one, third or fourth or fifth. Be easier to see this more profoundly if you write them out. And it'll help you gain that gap and not believe the fear stories or emotional reaction stories in your mind. If you study those 
transformative processes of those spiritual of spiritual traditions you'll find that they so often involve an initiation of death but that initiation of death isn't about a physical death that initiation of death has to do with the dying the letting go of all those aspects of our personality that we've been growing in our garden and when they die the mind can assume that it's us dying, may even feel like us dying because we can feel the fear that's involved in those sides of our personality. But those spiritual practices were developed because they understood, wow, we've got to kill off all these false images of ourselves. We've got to kill off all these ideas of what we believe we are, all these conceptual ideas of what we believe we are. The image that we're better than someone else, or we're worse than someone else, that we're good enough, we're not good enough. These are conceptual ideas. We call them our false self. In those spiritual processes and practices, to recover our authentic voice, to recover our emotional integrity, to allow ourselves to love unconditionally, all those false self images that we've cultivated in the garden in our mind die. And so as we go through this process of change, changing our habits, changing our behaviors, changing our emotional state, there's a sense emotionally that we're facing death. At least that's the perception. It is a death. It's just not our own personal death. It's not a physical death. It's actually a death of all those things we pretended to be. And in that process of death, of all the false self, becomes an awakening, becomes a space for our authentic voice to emerge, our authentic expression of love. That authentic expression, that voice of our integrity, when it comes out, is one of the most frightening things, but it's not frightening to us. It's frightening to all the false personalities we created. Metaphorically, it feels like the end of the world, but it's the end of the false world of our false self-images. And all those false self-images react with a survival instinct of fear. A lot of people say that they're afraid to love. It's a big lie. Their false selves are afraid of love. The voice in their head is afraid of love. If they identify with the voice in their head, it feels like them that's afraid of love. It's like imagining that you're one of the plants in the garden in your backyard and say, please don't kill me. But you're not one of the plants in your backyard. No. You're something much more profound than that. Something much more lasting and loving than that. 
we have the ability to create all those creatures in our backyard, all those sides of our personality. We create them, we live them out, but it doesn't mean we are them. That fear to love isn't even our fear. As you become self-aware, you get that gap. And you can decide which voice is yours, which one you'll follow. In the beginning, it just that first step is to be a skeptic of any of them. To be very skeptical of what you think. And if you don't need to believe it, refrain. And you'll find out that you don't need to believe most of what you believe. If it's the truth, then it's the truth. And you don't need to believe it. And if it's not the truth, well, then you don't need to believe it. You know, the truth, like the sun's coming up, is going to come up whether you believe it or not. That skepticism creates the gap. The self-awareness creates more skepticism. And the skepticism creates more self-awareness of not to believe those false self-images. And not believing those false self-images give you an opportunity to refrain from being afraid. And that opens the door to allow more love in your life. And more love in your life means the expression of love and self-acceptance is what will make you happy. Some people go at it a different way. Some people become immersed in love. Whether it's in relationship, whether it's in nature, that transformative experience of love, experiencing joy, experiencing gratitude, that emotional experience awakens our integrity. It puts us in touch with our emotional integrity. Oh, this is our authentic nature. This is our authentic expression. This love, this is what my authentic voice expresses. When we immerse ourselves in that emotion of love, emotions based in love, be aware that all those other false selves that have fears, false self-images, that have doubts, they react to that love. They get stirred up. Love is a force that disturbs the status quo of all those fear-based and false self-images. And those false self-images try to rise up and put doubt and questions on that love. They try to control it. They try to undermine it. They try to, in a way, destroy it. Because if you continue to love, you continue to have gratitude. All those false personalities, they will die. They will die. A lot of people go looking for love in their life, whether it's in their relationship, as, okay, that's the Holy Grail. If I find that right partner, I fall in love, I'll be happy. Well, lo and behold, you find and maybe just explode with love with a person, but what are all those false images of your personality and those other habits? What are they going to do? Well, eventually, they're going to look to stay rooted in. And to do that, they will try to cast doubt and fear into that love. Just even the fear of losing that love is a place for them to get a foothold. Classic example of this is if someone falls in love with us, 
we doubt that it's true. And we wonder, how could they be in love with us? Gosh, they must not really know who I am, because if they did, they wouldn't love us. Those are the stories of all those false self-images that are denying that experience, that are trying to stay alive by sabotaging that emotion of love, that experience of love. And it's a battle because you can believe the stories or you can immerse yourself in love. But it's very difficult for them to coexist. One will try to win out over the other. The thing that you'll notice is the fear stories and the false self-image stories, they are the ones that will panic and rush in and demand attention. Whereas love doesn't care whether you believe in it or not. It has nothing but time. Then in my point of view, as much as love is this great transformative vehicle that puts us in touch with our integrity, however we come about it, it's generally not enough to maintain it for the rest of our life. To maintain that state of love and happiness in our life will also require that we are conscious and aware and vigilant in our mind to not believe stories of doubt and fear. That's what will give us immunity to letting that garden come back in and plant weeds in our relationships of love. That conscious awareness, that mastery over our mind to choose what to believe and what not to believe. That conscious awareness combined with allowing your love to come out of you is what gives you immunity from fear, from doubt, from emotional suffering. You could say that love is the great force that can shatter all those false images and clean up the garden so fast, so fast. You know, in the experience of love, those fears can't survive. But to maintain it, to not let fear and doubt creep in, requires conscious awareness and the mastery over choosing what you believe and what you don't believe. Our old emotionally embedded behavior patterns of fear and doubt will resist love. But don't get fooled into thinking that you're the one resisting love or that you're the one afraid of love. That's just buying into the first proposal that the mind throws out and it gets you caught in the weeds thorny bushes that you've grown. So, as you navigate this path in your life towards joy and happiness and love, be aware to be a skeptic and not believe the first proposal your mind offers about why not to do something or why to be afraid. And recognize that those stories might just be a self-preservation trick for those false self-images of your personality. And that if you feel afraid, even like a survival fear, recognize it may not be a fear at all. It may be a side of your personality that's recognizing, uh-oh, love's coming. Love is happening within this person. And if that really happens, if this person really becomes happy, there's going to be no room for a victim story or a victim personality. There's going to be no room 
for a judgmental, opinionated voice in the head. If this person really grows and becomes happy, those are going to die. And that, putting those voices six feet under, is a beautiful thing. That fear is a beautiful part of this process. As long as you recognize it's not your fear. It's just the beginning of new life. A new life based in love and happiness. Which means the old one's got to go. And for practical ways how to identify and change these core beliefs at the heart of our emotional drama, you can log on to my self-mastery course on my website, pathwaytohappiness.com. The first few sessions there are free. Try it and see if those exercises are, are practical and effective for you. You can also order my book, MindWorks, which is a guide to identifying and changing these negative thoughts, beliefs, and emotional reactions. This is Gary Van Warmerdam from the website pathwaytohappiness.com.